You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Well, welcome back to our study in the book of Daniel. Thank you for listening this week, and we are getting into chapter 2. So we've already completed some introduction, and we've looked at Daniel chapter 1, and we've seen the beginning of this account of Daniel and his three friends as they are captives in Babylon. And today we are starting a very interesting study on the times of the Gentiles. Now, this is a time that has been prophesied by many of the minor prophets. Israel has been warned about this time that's coming. God has been patient with Israel. And so now finally, God is now phasing out Israel as his sovereign, supreme nation in the world. And he's transitioning that supremacy to the Gentiles. So this time is referred to as the times of the Gentiles. And that's specifically what this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 deals with. It's, to give you a definition, it's the period of history when the secular nations of the world have domination over the Jewish people and their land. And the Jewish people are at the mercy of other nations at large around the world. And so if you're thinking historically, you might question and say, well, what about the times when Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back to Israel and and return? Or when Christ was alive in Israel and the Romans had some somewhat of an occupation over Israel, but the Israelites were there again. And what about in more recent history, 1948, Israel declared its nationhood, and today it's a sovereign nation in the Middle East. Are we still in the times of the Gentiles? And the answer to that is yes. Because here's the thing, Israel has never again secured that supremacy over all the nations around her. And each of these cases, if you think about it, each time Israel returned to its land, there were other nations that had somewhat of a control over her. So when Cyrus allowed the Jews to go back, there was the the population around them, the locals there gave them a really hard time and they had to actually appeal back to the king of Persia to ask permission to build their temple. When Christ was alive on the earth, the Romans had occupation and control over Israel. And then they actually kicked the Jews out in AD 70 after the revolt. The the Romans crushed the revolt. And even today, even with current events going on in Israel right now, we have an operation between Israel and Gaza. There's rockets being launched. There's military um, strikes going back and forth between the two groups. So we see clearly Israel has never again had that supreme position over the nations around her, such as that they did in Solomon's time or in the time of um, right after the return to Israel from the Exodus. So they've never again had that same position. So we're still in the times of the Gentiles. And think about it, coming up very soon when the tribulation happens, Israel will again be in their land, but they will be controlled by the Antichrist. And we know that they're going to be disarmed And again, once again, the nations of the earth are going to come against them and fight this defenseless country. However, at that point, God is going to fight for them. And at that time, the Jews will be saved spiritually, but they will have to, again, flee for their lives. Once again, they'll be at the mercy of their captors for 
protection and, and God is going to have to intervene to protect his people because the nations of the world are going to again exercise supremacy over them. So we see that this period, the times of the Gentiles starts here in Daniel and then it extends all the way to the end of the tribulation. That's really important kind of background information that we need to understand as we go into this chapter here. Luke 21 verse 24 says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He's prophesying of the future. He says, They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And we're still living in these times. So they have not yet been fulfilled. So with that understanding, that definition, we're going to dive into Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to read the first couple verses here. The Bible says, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. So we have here Nebuchadnezzar, and it gives a time frame here, and he is suffering from sleeplessness. He's restless at night. He's experiencing these dreams, plural, and his spirit, it says his spirit was troubled. So before we jump into this, I just want to explain how we're going to outline the book of Daniel going forward. So there's a lot of debate over how you can outline the book of Daniel. There's ideas of just the events of Daniel's life, such as chapters 1, 3, and 6, when they're suffering persecution, standing up for what's right. Some people outline it following the narrative of the king, such as John Phillips in his commentary, or the different kings. You can outline it based on who was ruling in the account of Daniel, or the different empires. We know that there's power transitioning between different empires, or you could outline it based on the visions or just the, the narrative itself of the book. So that there's many ways you could outline the book of Daniel. But for our study, we're going to outline it based on the intended audience and the focus. So how do we know who the intended audience is? Or how do we know what, what the focus is? What do I mean by that? Well, it's actually very easy to figure out the divisions that were intended in the book of Daniel by the language that the book was written in. So this view is the linguistic division view for the book of Daniel. This is how we're going to outline it. The book of Daniel opens in Hebrew. So chapter 1, everything we've read so far, opens in Hebrew. Then there's a shift in language to Aramaic starting in chapter 2, verse 4. So let's read down to there. Picking up in verse 2, it says, Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now this is still in Hebrew here that Daniel is writing. Verse 3 says, And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, which is ancient Aramaic. And they said, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So there, embedded in the text itself, we see the language shifts from Hebrew to Aramaic. It says they spoke to the king in Syriac, saying, O king, live forever. O king, those two words there, is the beginning. Those are the first words of this section that goes from that verse all the way to the end of Daniel chapter 7 that's written in a different language. It's not written in Hebrew. This is all written in Aramaic. So their conversation with the king and everything that follows including a testimony of the king himself, 
written by Nebuchadnezzar. That entire section that continues all the way to chapter 7, verse 28, is written in Aramaic. So pretty cool. It's a different language. And that tells us a few things. It tells us that the focus is to the nations of the world. Aramaic was the official diplomatic language of the world at that time. It's before Greek came on the scene and became dominant. So the the point is showing us God is writing this section to the Gentile world. And there's a couple ways we know that. Number one, because the language changes, so that's kind of obvious. Daniel literally switches the language that he's writing in and continues writing in Aramaic up to a certain point, then he switches back. But another reason is how God is described in these sections. So in these chapters, he's referred to as either the God in heaven or the God of heaven. So he's no longer called the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a a international God now. He's the God of the universe. He's the God of the world, the God of heaven. So he's speaking into the lives of these pagan kings. He's given prophecies of the Gentile world powers. So this is clearly a message intended for the Gentile reader. Then there's the names of his companions. And this really, it confuses some people, I think, because people ask, why are his friends called throughout the book Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego instead of their Hebrew names? And some people try to use this to excuse the fact that we should conform to the world or, or the culture around us. That's not the case. The, the reason why his friends are called by their, their names that were given to them when they came to Babylon is to show us again who Daniel is writing this to, who God is trying to speak to. He's talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to the world. He's no longer focusing his attention on Israel. God wants his message to come across to the Gentiles. So that's why the language is different. That's why he uses their Gentile names so the people know who he's talking about. And it's written in Aramaic. Then there's the dreams themselves. This is another reason why we divide the book and and we can tell that this part of, of the book is written to the Gentiles because the content of the dreams. These visions talk about kingdoms rising up and they talk about the powers of the Gentile world. And there's one final reason why we outline the book this way, why we believe that this is intended not really for the Jews, but it's actually instructions to the Gentiles. And that is that there's a disruption in the chronology. So Daniel chapters 7 and 8 are actually out of order chronologically. And we're going to see that when we get there. They're actually supposed to come in uh, before chapter 5 chronologically. So you have chapter 5, then the content of chapter 7 and 8 are supposed to come before chapter 5 there. So the reason why he did this is because, again, the audience he's writing to, he has a certain focus, and he's trying to order the content of this book around the intended audience. So that's a lot of details there, but we're going to now dive into chapter 2. Now that you know how we're going to lay out this book. Okay, so we've seen chapter 1 is the introduction to Daniel. Chapters 2 through 7 is God's message specifically to the Gentiles. And it's crazy to think that God goes out of his way to use this captive in Babylon to speak directly to these heathen people. And then chapters 8 through 12 directs the attention back to the Jews. He's writing in Hebrew again. And so we see visions that are actually repeated, but this time with the focus on the Jews. 
and God's giving his message to the Jewish people. So we see here Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. Now notice the timing of his dreams. It says his second year of his reign. And people sometimes try to attack this and say that that doesn't make sense because it says Daniel and his friends were training for three years. How is this the second year of his reign? And Daniel's supposed to be eating pulse for another year. Well, they're confused because they don't understand how the ancient Babylonians reckoned time. So the first year that a king would take the throne is called the year of his ascension. So that would have been before year one of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So his first year, remember he was a general before that. He actually was the one who was leading the siege against Jerusalem at the very beginning of the book of Daniel. Then he goes back to Babylon, takes the throne, and his first year, the year of ascension, was the first year of Daniel's training and the other captives. Then Nebuchadnezzar's first year of reigning as they reckoned it, which would be after his year of ascension, that's going to be Daniel's second year in training. So therefore, the third year of Daniel training is the same year that Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams. And it's interesting to me that the timing of God is always perfect. Not only is this account credible as a historical account, but it shows us that we don't have to question or doubt God's timing. God gave Nebuchadnezzar one of the most significant prophecies about the coming world empires and God's plan for the Gentile nations the same year that Daniel is promoted to work in the king's court. That's not coincidence. That's God's perfect timing. So when we are in seasons of waiting, just remember that God's timing is perfect. He's never late and he's never premature in his plans or in his will. God is always in control of what's happening and when it happens. So we can trust God for his timing and we can rest assured that he's going to keep all his promises. And we will continue looking at chapter 2 next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.